Hello and welcome to this episode of the John Henry Weston Show, which we're very pleased to bring you because we have with us an actor, a rather famous actor, whose name is Austin Peck. Austin Peck, many of you know from Days of Our Lives, from As the World Turns, just recently on Law & Order. Yes, a big Hollywood star. So what are we doing with Austin Peck on the John Henry Weston Show? Well, we've just learned that Austin Peck is a traditional Catholic, and he's very much able, ready, and willing to talk about his faith. You're going to want to stay tuned for this one. Austin, welcome to the program. It's great to be with you. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, Austin, you are very well known. You're, 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 I think, particularly known for all of your roles in, in different soap operas, where, you know, you had this huge adoring fans of ladies for forever and ever. Tell us a little bit about your walk from their fame and that kind of thing to becoming a Catholic. That, that seems just an incredible journey. Once I became a Catholic, I kind of looked back and I realized, you know, what was my belief? Like, what did I really believe before I started to believe in Christ, the faith? Uh, I realized I was a hedonist, you know, uh, that's what I, that's what I was. I, was a he- I lived for pleasure. And that permeated when I, and then uh, that permeated, like, I guess when, when I was, when I was in the fashion industry, and that's how I started when I was 16. And it was one of those stereotypical stories that you hear about someone getting approached on the street. Now I'm from LA, so it's not uncommon to run into talent search. So it's like one thing led to another and I started working and I come from an entertainment background with my, my mother. So, and my stepfather uh, was, was an agent at the time, but it was something that totally separate from them. So fast forward to working, doing commercials, you know, and working in the fashion industry, traveling the world, by the time I was 21, I'd already traveled most of Europe and many other places. So it was, it was a bizarre kind of reality. I started, I live in New York and I started to ask, I guess you could say cosmic questions, like what's it all about? The meaning of life, very stereotypical. And that just started me down a journey. And my sister became a person of faith. She became a Protestant and started to, you know, really read me, my only sibling. And it, it was very contentious. But what I did is I learned the stories and I became curious about this man named Jesus. And, you know, his claim was, I came to the crossroad of, he said, he's the truth, the life and the way. Well, what does that mean? And then I found myself really desiring the truth. And I, I, I believed that God was knowable because I believe, okay, if there was a God, then he must be knowable or it must be knowable. And then I got, uh, I was, you know, just curious. And then I got Days of Our Lives and I found myself back in LA and couldn't get Christ out of my head. And finally, I made that commitment. And then once I did, it was just, I dove into that world, into the evangelical. I mean, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't even know what the word theology meant. And I just started going to the first Bible believing church. And I, as I, was going along, I found out, you know, you read the Bible, there became tremendous discrepancies of what I read and what I heard and saw. 
And, and I found the most discon- disconcerting words were from Jesus himself. In fact, he's actually the scariest words in the Bible. You're on the set of like a soap opera and you're going through this. Are you like concealing this from people? I'm going through this while I'm working on a soap opera. And, yeah. and you know, invite, it was, you know, there was providence. There was people putting my life, you know, and I started going to this church on Sunday. And it was this one church called West Angeles. It's a big, big, you know, mainly black congregation. I was like the speck of salt. And they had an altar call every time. I'm like, what are they doing? But every time I wanted to get up and go down and didn't even know, why are they taking them off to the side? It was just, I guess God was speaking to me. And, but I made the commitment to God and I, it was followed up by, because I'm a very passionate person and it's a, it's a gift, mainly a curse. So it was it was one of those experiences where it was confirmed emotionally, not just it was it was intellectual. It was it just made sense, right, that Jesus was who he said he was. At this point, you've now come out publicly to your colleagues in the soap opera. And uh, so, yeah, amazing. Um, did you did you experience pushback at the time? You know, first of all, I just have to preface this. I'm not the best communicator. <laughs> I wish I was. I, I The way my mind works very, is very tangent. Like I just, it's just like it splinters. That's, but that's why I like being an actor is because when I'm given a script, I could just follow it. There was a lot of people that were very respectful and very like wondering like what's, what's going on. But for the most part, it was more like I kind of just lost my mind i was like one of those people and they just tolerated me but because of my energy and passion and my willingness to battle you know what i mean like you know it, it it was it's truth that led me to christ it's truth that led me to the catholic church it's truth that led me to the traditional form when you're armed with the truth and I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm into martial arts, but boxing, I like that. So you, you, it's combat. I want to fight. You know, I just want to go, that's a lie. This is the truth. And so when you have somebody, you know, I'm six foot two, 210 pounds. When you have somebody who's, I think, has a, the level of passion that I do and willingness to engage and like not let go, I think people, just kind of avoid they don't really want to get into it because they see that like i'll be up with you till seven o'clock in the morning talking about and 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 when i say this it's not it's not something that is it's like a like a badge it it, it can sound like that it can sound prideful because i'm reading a book just in case <laughs> if you haven't read humility of heart <laughs> i highly recommend it I'm on my third reading. I'll be reading it for the rest of my life. You know, I won't let go. Like I will keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and keep thinking. And there's a lot of pride in that. And it lacks a lot of prudence. But in some ways, what it does is that it makes people steer away from you. They don't attack you. They attack you in maybe other ways, but not that you can see. So it's not so obvious. And that's what I experienced was a lot of behind the scenes stuff not things that were seen and gossip, 
you know, things that were gossip and said, scoffing, making fun of, ridicule, but never to me. And because I, because to me, it's like, oh, that's it. Oh, oh, you're making it known. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's it, it, my personality is very tough. It's very tough. It's, and it's, I find myself in confession for it more times than I necessarily would like. What was your journey like moving from an evangelical Protestant to, to a Catholic? And, and did, did traditional Catholicism come right with it? Or was that a separate journey again? When I became a, a believer back in like 1996 in Christ, that crossroad that I accepted, okay, Jesus, you're it. The Bible is the, in, is the infallible word of God. So I just started going to churches and I dove myself into this really interesting church community in Los Angeles. And this, at least at the time, it was quite large. So I go to my main church and different churches. I didn't know, like I said, what the word theology was, but then I started to become aware of a, of a gospel called the prosperity gospel. And this, the disconnect between what I read and just law, you know, just what was logical and, you know, things like, Fear and trembling, you know, walk out with faith, fear and trembling, you know, carry your cross, you know, dying to self didn't really fit in what I was hearing. And so the theology became important. And then I went to a more conservative church, left that and Presbyterian. I didn't even know what Calvinism was until I became a Catholic. <laughs> what it does, it was the desire for truth. And my sister was very very instrumental because she called me up one day and she goes, I'm a Catholic. And my first thought was, and this was 17 to 16, 17 to 18 years ago. My first thought was, Oh, now I have to become a Catholic. And, but what happened was she, as she was learning, she was giving me Catholic truth Hmm. and the Catholic truth was filling in all these theological holes that Protestants couldn't answer. They, it's not like they didn't try to answer, but if you ask 10 pastors, you know, certain, certain things in the Bible, you'll get, you know, you'll get different answers. I became aware that it was because, because of that inconsistency with what I read in the Bible. And I would say really what happened was it was the Old Testament and how God defines his character and nature. He fulfills it in Christ on the cross, his resurrection, his love for us, in fulfillment of prophecy, fulfillment of, of his love for us, his demonstration, his giving to us, leaving everything, giving everything. But he defines himself very clearly, and he's so specific. He defines the Leviticus law. You know, he makes it, he creates it. I mean, if you want to put yourself to sleep at night, read Leviticus. It's just, I mean, it's like, okay. And, but, you know, the tent of meeting and, and the, the, you know, the, you know, make Noah, make the boat like this. Here's the dimensions and Moses do this and do that. When they carried the mark in an improper way, they died despite their intentions. So that's really describes God as being very specific. And then according to what I was experiencing in modern day Protestantism, it was like everybody was just kind of going, man, it's about my spirit, man. You just kick back. I mean, church for me. It's just like out in the woods. And, you know, it's me and the Bible and Jesus. And I'm like, that is not consistent with 
with God that says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow? Why would he go to the end lengths of establishing the Levites, the priestly order, and the law? And then he and then he comes and he goes, okay, that was all just an experiment. You know, what he did is he established a new order, you know, the new right. And then when I went to when I came into the church, I came into a really good Orthodox Novus Order church, and I met a gentleman there that was, you know, very artistic and on fire, and he was a cate- catechist, he was teaching, and an encyclopedia. And so he became a good friend of mine, and he went to a Latin Mass and said, you've got to come. And when I went there, the Bible blew up, and I went, here's the torn curtain. Here is the new covenant consistent with the old here's where christ is the sacrificial lamb and the in the reverence the holiness because when you're in when you're when you go into mass before it was like i'm standing behind some young 20 something with a tank top and mini skirt and flip-flops receiving in the hand i'm like so and then we wonder why 70 percent of catholics don't believe in it you know, if I treated my wife with just complete contempt and disrespect, how do you think my children are going to treat her? I just want to know, in, in your various moves, they're, they're sometimes fraught with difficulty. The move from atheist to, to, to evangelical, you explained. But the move from an evangelical uh, church to the Catholic church, from even from a Novus Ordo Catholic church to a traditional church, those moves sometimes come with disruption of friendships and the like. Did you experience that? And if you did, how did you deal with it? I've lost a lot of my friends. I've lost a lot of my Protestant friends, but I can't, I can't really blame them because, again, there's that bull in the china shop. I could have been more prudent. I could have been more gentle. And it's, it really, it's, it's about trying to remind myself that it's the job of the Holy Spirit to convert people, and it's like trying to be, you know, faith, hope, and charity. A lot of times, I act, I've acted. What I in my heart, I'm acting charitable, but that's not how they see it, <laughs> you know. And and I understand that, and I, I've I've had to make amends. There's some friends I've close friends that I haven't I haven't talked to in over a year. With today's world, and given the milieu that you're in, the the Catholic Church, and particularly tradition. Uh, in the church, is fraught with all kinds of things, and th- this is what's really incredible. How are you dealing with, because is being part of the church, particularly the, the traditional church, you believe in all of the truths that the church teaches, yet in today's culture, that's the most difficult thing in the world because it flies in the face of everything that we're taught as gospel from the secularist world. The pro-life beliefs, the pro-family beliefs, the, the beliefs in the truth about God and salvation and the need to avoid hell and the existence of hell. How in the world do you deal with that given where you're at? Well, you know, to me, I really, you know, when you ask me how do I get from here to there, I mean, there's so many different avenues that I can walk down. And one of them was, is I did research as into why is the church the way it is? I read Dr. Taylor Marshall's book, Infiltration, but I was already on that journey and, you know, as far as looking at the world from a different perspective from 2008 crisis, because like, why didn't anyone go to jail? You know, I was like, this is a pretty big thing. People shit there. You know, I was like, something's going wrong. 
And then when that, that, that awakening of more on the natural, it wasn't like the spiritual wasn't part of it, but it was more like there's an aristocracy that is around that we don't even, we're not even aware of. I was already looking into it. And then when I discovered, you know, like Freemasonry, you know, and really, you know, it's what is, and, you know, Karl Marx was a Mason, you know, he is moral, you know, communism. So when I started in the infiltration into the church, you know, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a disease of thought. It's a disease of theology, false theology. It's a disease of, it's, it's about, it's about me. You know, and it's that moral relativism. And it goes, you know, looking at history from a totally different perspective, like the French Revolution. You know, America, I think, is the greatest Freemasonry experiment ever. You know, Protestantism. (laughs) I mean, it's really like, oh, you get to define it for yourself. That's what we are. And then that, that ideology is so incredibly pervasive in our, in our world more than ever before. And if you like the mass, it's like, okay, well, let's turn away from the altar, face the people. Let's put it more into the hands of the laity. Let's, you know, be more engaging. Well, what are you doing? You're making it more about people. Well, when I tell my daughters, I said, we're here for God. You know, it's not about you. He makes it about you because look at that crucifix. Like, look at it. That's what he did for you. You know, if you ever question his love for you, Look at that. How do you defend, let's say, the controversial teachings on life, especially in Hollywood speak, it would be a totally natural conclusion. A woman's right to choose is the only thing that exists. And, well, everything else. You're a hater of women. You must have been confronted by that already. But how do you respond to these? There's that and the LGBT thing, which is so pervasive. Because when I was in the fashion industry, you're surrounded by the, I mean, drag queens and transvestites and, are normal to me. I mean, I used to club every single night. I was like, hey, what's up, Paris? Paris, you look hot. Look at you. You know what I mean? It's, that's, it was just a normal thing. It's like if you were at a great club and you saw like seven foot, eight foot tall drag queens because they're platforms, you'd be like, we're at a good, we're at a good party. You know, so it's a normal thing, but I see the truth of it and it coincides with abortion, which coincides with contraception, right? Because you take away the act from its purpose. It just makes sense. See, I don't think it's controversial. I don't think it's controversial at all. I think it's very simple. I said, that's a life. Life begins at conception. It's just the way it is. In fact, the reason why the debate doesn't happen anymore is because science actually backs up life at a ge- genetic level. So even if I were to have the conversation just scientifically, right, scientifically, they would lose. And that's why the conversation never happens, because you, we have morally, we have socially, we have scientifically. It's just, there's so many ways. The only thing they have is name calling. But I, you know, I've been to go and pray at the Planned Parenthood. I mean, I couldn't believe we were down in Philadelphia. I was praying. It's a 100% kill zone, and they had a BLM sign, and all the people that I saw working there were black. I mean, white, excuse me. But all the people I saw coming in that were being escorted were black, and they had a Black Lives Matter 
And I kept saying to them, I said, you're being led into a place to kill your baby by a bunch of white people that have a Black Lives Matter sign. How do you defend, let's say, the controversial teachings on life, especially in Hollywood speak, it would be a totally natural conclusion. A woman's right to choose is the only thing that exists. And, well, everything else. You're a hater of women. You must have been confronted by that already. But how do you respond to these? When you see something that's so obvious and people you show people that something is so obvious and they just refuse to see it, it's just, it, it has to be blinders. You know, it has to be something like that. It has to be. And I, years ago, years ago, I was going to a church, you know, Assemblies of God Church. And I, you know, found out like assembly, how Assemblies of God started. Like a bunch of people got together, wanted to hasten to God's return, so they focused on missions. Like, what about individual holiness? No, it's up to the Holy Spirit. I said, yeah, but how are people going to know if they're doing wrong unless you say it? Like, why don't you talk about abortion? And what became clear to me is like, what is abortion but modern day sacrifice to like Molech or Baal? I mean, those demons still exist. And that was the issue that happened in the land of Canaan and one of the reasons why God needed to clean it out. And the reason why abortion is so important and sacrifice is so important is portion to demonic entities is because they're the ape of God. So they understand because God instituted the sacrificial system. So because of that, there's spiritual power. And what it does is when you have a society culture that does that, they they're surrender themselves spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically over to these entities fully because they're exercising a spiritual law, right? It's a law that God instituted. And I mean, the greatest sacrifice, what does it do? It redeemed mankind. So, so it's like those demons are so important. That's why you have all these groups like, what do two women have worry about getting an unwanted pregnancy? Why do they support abortion? Why do, why do two men that are together support abortion so vehemently? Why? You don't know, you know, why? Well, there's a, there's a, there's a spiritual component there. And, you know, you speak on this level, you know, it, it's really hard for people to comprehend because I might as well be just wearing like an enormous tinfoil hat or just you're a flat earther, you know, or I mean, it's something like that's so crazy. One of the last things that I wanted to ask you was about um, the times we're living in right now, at least for a year and a half or so, because we're in a situation where the whole world has gone completely upside down. We're in one of the most stupendous things we've ever seen before. In fact, so we've had abortion with us. The whole LGBT ideology for a long time now, we had sort of like an underground of killing children. We have, as you said, sacrifice to Moloch. And, but it's all done with white lab coats. So it's like, oh no, we're not being like the Nazis at all. No, no, we're doing something that is, is not evil because it's all clean and good. It's clinical. Everything's wonderful. It's a woman's right to choose. It's excused under every euphemism that they can use. But we have a new insanity that we're dealing with now in terms of COVID mandates, in terms of vaccine mandates. And so I'd just like to get your take on that because you've seen the same thing. You've seen the world shut down, the churches shut down, God forbid. And, and yet 
this is where we're at. And because I know you are a man who follows the truth wherever it leads you, what have been your thoughts on the whole COVID situation with COVID mandates, the shutting down of churches and things like that? One of the rules in improv for actors is always yes and. You know, you get information, you don't deny it, you just go yes and. So this is like a yes and. It's like, of course. You know, the information is out there to point to what is really going on. Like when I try to talk to some people about what I see going on with these vaccines and what they're doing and the, like, just here's an example. I went into after mass, 6.30 PM, we went to a pizza shop. We wanted a bottle of wine. So I said, oh, you could buy one down the street, walk down the street, thought it was just one place, it was a bar. Mass mandates were in place. So I didn't have one because I really don't like being told what to do. Like, that's another thing about the fact that I'm a traditional Catholic. I really don't like being told what to do. And I can't think of anything more being told what to do than being a traditional Catholic. And only because Christ is worth all of everything I have to give. Everything he says is true. So, hey, you're the general and you're, you're going to win. So I'm with you. Anyway, so I walked in. I said, well, I looked in. There was four people sitting at the bar without wearing face masks. It was five feet from the front door to the bar. All right. So I didn't have a face mask, so I walked in. I'm standing right next to these people on stools. Two men, two women. The bartender comes up, where's your face mask? I'm like, I don't have one. He goes, it's the law. I said, no, it's not. It's a mandate. He goes, you need your face mask. I'm like, and I went, I looked at the people. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I mean, you know? And it was just like a little bit, I'm like, what? They're not weird. I'm like, I'm right next to them. Next thing you know, the four people are yelling at me who are not wearing face masks to wear a face mask. And then one of them goes so far as to put his gear up to tell me to get out of here, you know, and I, I handled it. Okay. But it was kind of hard because I was kind of, well, why don't you make me, you know, this <laughs> is kind of, you know, it's like that, the ego rises up and I just peacefully walked out. You know, I got threatened and, I walked away from it. Fortunately, I didn't allow myself to get more engaged. But if that is, that little story in and of itself doesn't tell you the mindset between the division of how it's happened, between how people think, like you walk into a restaurant, you must wear a face mask. But if you sit down, you can take it off. It's like COVID went, I almost had you. But you're supposed to social distance, but your waiter comes right up to you when you're at the whole table's not wearing face masks. You know, you have you have all these politicians who are living their life however they want to do it, and they, they're doing the show. And it is clearly being caught. So there's all this evidence that people are seeing that goes to show you. There's there's the people in charge, you know, that are implementing these rules that are found to be, you know, with their own questionable behavior the things that they say and how they counter it you know like stop buying face masks they don't protect you and the next thing you know the same person is telling you oh yeah we need a double face mask i'm like it's like again it goes back to how it led me to christ which is truth there's nothing true about this because if this was a real pandemic the way pandemics are i would know i i've known a lot of people who have had it I haven't known anybody who has died from it. Okay. If this was a real pandemic, I would not only know 
a lot of people that would have had it. I would have known a lot of people that would have died from it. So that in and of itself says, well, look what they're doing with what it is. From the very beginning, it's been 98 to 99 point, point, whatever, survivable between certain age ranges. So it's like the first time in history that we're making our kids protect us. I don't send my kids to public school. You know, I don't have my kids face masks every day. That's abusive. You know, I'm sorry for any parent that may see this. It's abusive because it's psychological, it's physical, it's, it's stifling. It's, it's, you don't want your kids to get used to something like that. And the fact that they're doing this to our children. So there's so many things that do not add up. The fact is, and also when you come into this thing that they're putting out that they want us to put in our body, money cannot buy time. Right? Can't. Can't buy time. I've heard, well, they've done this and they've spent so much money. And blah, blah. I said, where's the time? Because only time. And there's enough evidence that is out there scientifically to say this is something that may be very, very harmful in the future. That which should give us all tremendous pause, not be so adamant because fear is such a great tool. And what they did is they created this boogeyman. They created the boogeyman. It's like when your kid is afraid of the boogeyman, you're an adult. You know there's no boogeyman underneath the, the bed, but they're convinced of it. So their fear is real, no matter how illogical it is. And, and it's like if you know if you have your kid who's in a moment where they are just freaked out because their mind is going, there's like you can show them under the bed, you can go into the closet, you can, you know, everything. You could do everything. And still. They're convinced. That, to me, is, is probably one of the most enraging things that I personally have to deal with on a daily basis. To be surrounded by people that are completely unreachable, no matter what you show them. Even if they, you're lucky to get them to look or read what you show them. Because they're so convinced. You know, it's, it's like the face masks are like a security blanket. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a symbol. That's what that bar scene really showed me. It was like, it's nothing to do with what it's for. It has everything to do with adherence. You know, it had everything to do with a symbol of adherence to an ideology. Austin, you are a fighter. You have a lot of background. I understand it also in martial arts and so on, but you've said you're a fighter and uh, you like taking things on. I would think that after this interview, you might be able to flex those muscles in terms of people taking you up intellectually and otherwise. But I also think that you've encouraged a lot of people because a lot of people are very intimidated today to be able to express the truths. I, I know a lot of kids in school, a lot, especially in high schools, they're pro-life. They believe in what the church teaches on the family and so on. And yet they're intimidated from saying these things because they think they'll be rejected and outcast. They'll think they're all alone. So I really do. I want to I thank you for doing that. But also, what might you 
have as closing words for the many, many people who will view this and who really are grateful to you right now? The reason why evil is able to prevail in many ways is because good people don't do anything about it. But it's really hard to do something about it when you feel like you're all alone. The reality is, I love acting. I really do. I've been, I've been in the business since I was 16. I'm 50. And I've, and I've worked consistently, you know, since then. And from the fashion industry, I mean, to, you know, television, I've done movies, but no one's ever seen them, but I've done them. I've done theater, uh, plenty of commercials, fashion prints. So there's almost everything outside of a big budget film and starring in my own primetime series that I've done, right? I may never work again. I may never, and it, and, and since I told my agent, I said, I'm not getting a vaccine, right? I told him. He's a great guy. You know, he, owns the, he owned the agency, and I had a conversation with him. And I said, I brought, up, I brought up all the topics. I brought up abortion. I brought up everything. I said, I'm not getting the vaccine, and I'm not kissing the dude. Ain't happening, right? And uh, that's the way it is. And I feel like they've ruined storytelling. I can't watch like a Victorian piece without them having this diverse cast. It would never exist in Victorian England in an, in an aristocratic environment. I was like, they've ruined it. It's like watching a play, watching somebody drop something or do something. They don't, none of the actors recognize. And I'm like, man, I'm not even listening to any of you. I, I, all I can see is the fact that you're, you didn't pick that up. I, you know, Jim Caviezel, uh, said something that I thought was so powerful. He said, everyone's afraid of dying. You know, he's like, but we're all going to die. It's how you live. But it's coming for everybody. Today our, could be our last day. And we all watch movies about heroes. We all watch movies about these characters that stand up against the machine or some sort of organization that's doing evil. They're by themselves, and we all want to be them. We all want to be that person, male, female. You know, we we don't we don't watch movies of the people that have it all together. We don't watch movies about the popular crowd and going, "I'm one of those." We all feel separate. You know, we all feel disconnected in many ways. But then, in our own lives, we find ourselves. Being the bad guy, the bullies only are able to bully because there's enough people that are afraid to do anything. You know, that's really what, how bullies, they, they work on fear. You know, that's, they just work on fear. And I like really don't like being threatened. I've been bullied in my life and I, I don't like being threatened. And when I do, I get very angry and I want, I want to destroy the bully. And this whole thing that's going on right now is, is such a lie. It's a bully. And like we have to punch it in the nose. We have to punch it in the nose because it's taking all of our lunch money. Austin Peck, that is awesome. You know, you are right now 
being one of those superheroes that we watch in the movies. And, and this is what we're all called to do. What we're all called to do is to live our lives for Christ. We're all called to offer up the strugglings, the sufferings, to be able to go out there and assert the truth. Everything, of course, in union with this holy sacrifice. But I want to thank you for doing this. And thank you for doing what you're doing and being a witness to the faith. It's incredible to see. And we will be praying for you. I have to say thank you for you, because if you didn't have me on your show, I could talk about it. <laughs> you, know I mean? you know what I mean? So it's like I can rant in my living room, but, you know, uh, it goes it, it, right back at you. And I know there will be a lot of people praying for you. And I know that there will be a lot of people going after you for this. So God bless you, Austin. And God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time on the John Henry Weston Show. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we are communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers, are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.